Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 32 in our series on the Gospel of John. This message is entitled, Before Abraham Was, I Am. Hey, a couple other things we got coming up. Next weekend, we are going to move our church service down to the Bogofalaya Park Pavilion for a chili cook-off, our second annual chili cook-off with proceeds going to benefit local charities. So come out there for that. We'll kick off with worship at 1030 and then eat a bunch of chili after that. Also on November 6th, Election Day, we're going to have Election Day Communion uh, on that evening at 7 o'clock. So come out for worship and communion as we remember who the true king of all really is. You can find out more information at northshorevineyard.org. But for now, let's go ahead and head to the talk. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. John since about last November and and today we celebrate a momentous occasion we are finishing the eighth chapter it's pretty good huh we're, we're just rocking along uh, the, the text that we're going to be looking at today is John chapter 8 first verses 48 through 59 and I just want to set up a little bit sometimes when we read uh, portions of the New Testament where Jesus is speaking, we imagine a, a crowd of, of very interested listeners, kind of like you guys, right? Yeah. Well, some of you. Uh, we imagine people hanging on every word of Jesus, and he's saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers. And we imagine people who are just like hanging on every word. But that's not the scene we're at today. Uh, we've been in this, this area of the Gospel of John for a few weeks where uh, we're, we're finding that there's a very hostile crowd. It's kind of like a lynch mob. These people are not receptive to Jesus at all. This is in Jerusalem, the one place on earth at this time where there's people who just want to do away with Jesus. They just want to kill him. And so it's not a receptive crowd just sitting there listening to Jesus. It's a group of people who are trying to find any accusation that can stick to him so they can take him away and, and ultimately execute him. And so that's kind of the, the place we've been. And this kind of continues and even comes to a head today in the passage that we're looking at. So I'm going to read these passages and I'm going to break it up into a couple of uh, Because there's so much good stuff in here, I'm going to kind of approach a a little bit of it at a time. In verse 48 of John chapter 8, it says, This was the Judeans' response to Jesus. Haven't we been right all along, they said, in saying you're a Samaritan and that you've got a demon inside you? Now, real quickly, if you wanted to insult somebody back that day, you didn't say, Your mama. You called him a Samaritan. Samaritans were, that was as insulting as you could get uh, for a Jewish person. The Samaritans, they lived down the road from, from uh, Jerusalem. But they, they were a group of people who had, uh, they, it was kind of a mixture of Jewish blood and then the, the surrounding peoples of that area. So the, the Jewish people looked down on them as kind of a mixed race. And, and even their religion, one of the earliest uh, writers in the church was a guy named Justin Martyr. And he grew up in Samaria. And he said, you know, Samaritans, they're known for their superstition and their uh, sorcery. You know, that's, that's Justin Martyr. He's like, that, these are my people. They were looked down they had a, they, as, as kind of a mixed race. And then they, they uh, were, were considered to have an impure religion that mixed in superstition and all kinds of stuff. So the the Jews just couldn't stand them. So they're saying, Jesus, you're you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. That's like about as low as insulting as you can go. And Jesus replies, I haven't got a demon. I'm honoring my father, and you are looking 
and you are dishonoring me. I'm not looking for my own glory. There's one who's looking after that, and he will be the judge. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Solemn truth. Anyone who keeps my word will never, ever see death. Now, I want to hit on this passage real quick before we get on into to the rest of it where we're going to spend most of our time. What does Jesus mean here when he says, whoever believes in me will never, ever see death? Because if you read the Gospels, every one of them is pretty clear. Jesus died, right? It's the crucifixion. There, there's no resurrection without a death, and yet we know Jesus died. It's our morning ambulance that, that passes by. <laughs> And we know that all of Jesus' disciples died. We know that, that everyone in church history from the beginning has died. Everyone who believed in Jesus. What was Jesus saying? Was he lying here? Well, I think the key to what he's saying is, is in verse 49. He says, I am honoring my father and you are dishonoring me. I'm not looking for my own glory. There is one who's looking after that and he will be the judge. The most glorious thing that we can see in the New Testament is Jesus hanging up on the cross. And he's saying, you know, forgive me, for, forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. And we see all throughout the New Testament that that's the glory of God. That's the love of God. That's God uh, taking the sins of the world upon him. But, but realize the vindication of God is the resurrection. The, 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 the proof that Jesus was saying and doing all that he said was true is when Jesus is not held in the grave three days later, God vindicates him. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. There is one who's looking after that, and he will be the judge. Jesus is basically saying, look, I'm not trying to get famous here. I'm not looking for power or some worldwide ministry headquarters where I can you know, get on TV and send out Twitter updates to everybody. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in this because of my heavenly Father. I'm after his glory. If I was building my own glory, then, then you could you know, get mad at me, but... But I'm, I'm after him. And he's ultimately going to vindicate me. And I think that that's what Jesus is getting at in the context of all, the whole gospel. Is, is not that you won't actually face death. But that death won't be the final decider of your life. It won't, it won't keep you there. Even as Jesus was vindicated by God and resurrected. You and I who believe in Jesus will be resurrected one day as well. That's good news. Don't shot me down now. Okay. <laughs> so we get to, uh, we'll go on to verse 52. Now, after he says this, the, the Pharisees replied, Now we know that you really have got a demon. Look here, Abraham died, so did the prophets, and here you are saying, Anyone who keeps my word will never ever taste death. You're not suggesting, are you, that you are greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who are you making yourself out to be? If I do give myself glory, replied Jesus, my glory is nothing. My Father is the one who brings me glory, the one that you say is our God. And you don't know him. I know him, though. And if I were to say that I didn't know him, I'd be a liar just like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham celebrated the fact that he would see my day. He saw it and was delighted. Not yet 50 years old, replied the Judeans. How have you seen Abraham? I'm telling you the solemn truth, replied Jesus. Before Abraham existed, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid and left the temple. You know, as the, as the Judeans have been accusing Jesus over the last uh, 
chapter. They, they've, they've brought out Moses. They try to appeal to Moses. They, they've tried to appeal to the Old Testament law. And, and now the, the discussion goes all the way back to Abraham. And Jesus is basically saying, look, Abraham saw my day coming. God let him in on the plan, and he was excited about that. You know, I've been raised, for the most part, in evangelical churches my whole Christian journey. And if, if you don't know what an evangelical church is, they're churches that, that believe in evangelism, telling people about Jesus, sharing the gospel, and, and hopefully getting people to respond to that. And I would say North Shore Vineyard is one of those churches as well. But the problem is I think a lot of evangelical churches over the years have, have so minimized the gospel to just getting your, you know, your, your heavenly ticket uh, punched. You know, like just say this prayer so you can go somewhere else when you die. And they miss the, the grandeur of it. Do you realize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are they called? Gospels. If you, if you ask somebody in the early church what's the gospel, they wouldn't give you, you know, a, a Twitter update. They would, they would give you, it's this whole story of Jesus. He's the fulfillment of this whole story that was going on with Israel in the Old Testament. And he's the fulfillment of that old covenant and the, the starter of a new covenant. And he invites us into that. Actually, if you look at the first preaching of the gospel that we see in the book of Acts, uh, that's exactly the way Peter does it. Now, certainly repentance is, is part of that. But I feel like we, we've missed, we, we've taken the, the, the epic story of the gospel and we've kind of just reduced it down to something so small. Really, did you, I didn't realize this for a long time, but the gospel is actually preached back in the Old Testament. We think of it as a New Testament thing, but if you go back to Genesis 12, since we're talking about Abraham, it says this in verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, before his name would change to Abraham. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's the gospel. Look at this. Uh, Galatians 3, verse 7, the Apostle Paul reflecting on this, he says this, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And in verse 16, he says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. See, the original intent of the gospel, it wasn't just get me out of this corrupt, fallen world so I can live, a, a, you know, playing playing a harp on a cloud like an angel when I die. The original plan was that I'm going to bless you so that the whole world will be blessed through what I'm doing through you. Now and in the age to come. And this is exactly what I think the Pharisees were missing. Say this with me. Blessed to be a blessing. That's the, I think that's one of the summations we can see of the Abrahamic promises. Is the blessings of God were meant to... Not just come to me, but to flow through me. And this is honestly where I think the Pharisees really got it messed up. They were really good at following the Mosaic law. 
In fact, the Pharisees, they weren't content with the several hundred laws that, that were in the Old Covenant. They actually created a few hundred more laws. They had laws for everything. But they forgot the original intent of the Abrahamic covenant, which was, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you. God actually tells the children of Israel at one point, he says, I've called you to be a a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You know what that means? That that Israel would would actually be like a priest to the other nation. It would be a nation that would would be a mediator between God and the other nations. That, That Israel was called to show these other nations, this is what God's like. Isn't this great? Don't you want in on it? But in the day where the Pharisees were, in first century Judaism, we, we really find that the Pharisees, that wasn't on their radar at all. They had taken the Old Testament law and, and they made it into a club. We're just a club that sits around and we talk about the Bible and we dress a certain way and we got our rules and our laws and isn't it so good to, to be together? The only problem is that the Pharisees, they were taking all the blessings of God and, and instead of inviting people in, they were excluding everybody who didn't look like them, talk like them, have the same uh, understanding that they did. And so it's no wonder to me that when Jesus comes along, they can't even see him as God because they're so invested in this club mentality. They're so invested in a way of doing Christianity that doesn't bless outsiders that they just they they can't see what Jesus is doing is is relevant. Because you know what Jesus was doing? He was blessing everybody. This might be offensive. Jesus was blessing everybody. He comes to to to, to he sees a, a a corrupt tax collector, he blesses him. He invites him in. He sees a woman caught in adultery. He blesses her. He invites her in. He sees fishermen, sinners, people of ill repute. And he doesn't point his finger at them. He sits down to eat with them. He says, come on in. Jesus even blessed his enemies. What? Jesus blessed his enemies. I don't like that part. I wish he'd have left that stuff out. Like, I like the blessing people who bless you. That's cool. I'm I'm okay with that. You give me a Christmas present, I'll give you a Christmas present. (laughs) But you wreck my car and I give you a Christmas present? I don't know. I don't know if I'm feeling that. But Jesus was, was the absolute blessing of the Father poured out on everybody. Because you know what? Jesus was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He was the seed that opened up the whole thing. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is good news, people. That's the gospel. Now, I, I think the modern church, there's a few ways where we've totally missed this. There's a few things that I've seen as tendencies that have, have popped up, you know, actually in relatively recent history in the modern day church. One of the worst things, I think, is the, the prosperity gospel. And, and the prosperity gospel just says this. If you follow Jesus, you're going to have money, possessions, water teeth, fresher breath. And, and it's just all about getting more stuff from God. There's a couple of problems with that. First is... There's nothing in the New Testament that says if you follow Jesus, that's the way it's going to work. <laughs> if you look at Paul, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, stoned, uh, run out of town. Uh, and Paul was pretty righteous, right? I mean, he, he kind of, he wrote a lot of the Bible. Every one of the, the, the apostles was martyred. <laughs> Following Jesus isn't always going to be an easy road, okay? There's some suffering involved. A lot of times there is. But the, the other thing about the prosperity gospel that, that 
that I think misses the intentions of God is it's all about me. It's all about me and my stuff and how God's blessing me. And it's not about God blessing me to bless others. I am the point. You know what? Anytime I become the point of my Christianity, bad things happen. (laughs) There's one guy who's the point. That's Jesus. The other tendency that I find that that has happened in recent years, you know, in the last few decades, is that the church, uh, I think, looking at how bad society is getting, that the church so much pulls away from the surrounding culture that it, it, it forms its own little subculture. And in this subculture, we have our own little Christian songs, and we've got Christian movies. There's even Christian aerobics classes, Christian candy bars. We think that we can just put Christian in front of everything and it it makes it Christian. Well, you know what? The word Christian is not an adjective. (laughs) Okay? It's not an adjective and it doesn't work well that way. What happens is that we pull so much away from the world with all of our alternatives for everything else out there. And yet when we do that, we stop being a blessing to anybody outside there. The other side is, you get a subculture, people who are outside of it, they don't want to come in anyway, because you look weird. Okay. We are blessed to be a blessing. You know, if all we do here on a Sunday morning, I, I love singing songs about the love of God. We sang some songs about the love of God today. Your love never fails. Nothing can separate me from your love. I love that song. But if all we do is come here on a weekend and we sing songs about how much God loves us and we fail to be loving to people outside of church, then we're losing the plot. We're becoming just like the Pharisees. We may be hipper, you know. Pharisees with electric guitars and drums and stuff. But, but we, we're becoming just as religiously entrenched as they are. Because we're making it about our own little club. God doesn't love you just so you can experience his love. But so the world can experience his love. God loves you so that you can show what love is. God gives you peace not so that you can just say that, hey, you know, Isaac passed and I lost my job and I'm, I'm chilled out. I'm cool. God gives you peace so that you can bear his peace in the midst of people that are not peaceful at all. Christians ought to be the one that that when there are people that are fighting each other, that we come as peacemakers and, and we bear the peace of the kingdom of God in their midst. God, even our possessions, our money, our jobs, you know what? It's not just about you and your own financial well-being If you hold on to all that stuff, no matter how good it is, it's just going to get stale. You're blessed, even with material stuff, to be a blessing. And I got to tell you, one of the the coolest things is when you get to participate in that. And I'm not just talking about dropping a check in the offering at church. I'm talking about being generous in your life. When you see somebody that has a need that you would be open to hear God, like, God, do you want me to help with this need? We're blessed to be a blessing. That's the gospel. See, see, actually, the gospel presented to Abraham, it's not that different from the gospel presented to, the, to, to Peter and Andrew and John. What's, Peter, what's, what's Jesus say to, to Peter? He says, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. The world's going to be blessed through you. What's God say preaching the gospel to Abraham? Follow me, leave the country that you're in, and we're going to make sure all the nations of the world get blessed through you. That's the gospel. It's not 
a ticket to the afterlife, although the afterlife's included, it's, no, you get to start doing this stuff right now. So the Pharisees had lost the plot. And so when Jesus comes on the scene being a blessing, showing God's love to all those who were outside of the religious clubs, uh, they didn't like him at all. They wanted to stone him, as we see at the end of this passage. They, they were threatened by it. And now we come to the most scandalous part of this passage. You're not 50 years old. You're not yet 50 years old, responded the Judeans. Have you seen, how have you seen Abraham? I'm telling you the solemn truth. Before Abraham existed, I am. Now, it's easy for us as Christians to look on the Gospel of John and we just kind of read it through the lens of the completed work of Christ. And so we just picture Jesus as God incarnate the whole story. And like, like we kind of figured that that was his main point. But up to this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has not revealed himself specifically, explicitly as God. Most of his stuff has been saying that he's the Messiah. Many people, uh, you know, we can prop that back door open and it won't keep doing that. <laughs> I haven't figured out how to turn our alarm off. Uh, but... What was I saying here? Many people. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back, back on uh, point here. Uh, a lot of people, when we read the, the Gospel of John, we think that everything that Jesus was saying was just basically saying that he was God. But this is the, the first part that we see in the Gospel of John where he's actually explicitly saying, I'm God. Now, he's, he's made reference to being the Messiah. He's, he's definitely said that he has a special relationship with God. But prophets in the Old Testament had special relationships with, with God where they could hear God. But this is the point where Jesus just flatly says out, I am. I existed before Abraham was even on the map. I am God. And so it's no wonder why at this point they want to uh, see him killed. But I think what's, what's very interesting here is that Jesus could have said he was God using so many other terms. I mean, there's actually all kinds of names used for God in the Old Testament. And Jesus doesn't use any of them. He says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, this terminology would have meant something very important to the people who heard it in that day. Because they'd, they'd have got exactly what Jesus was saying. If we go to Exodus three thirteen. God has told Moses, you're going to deliver my people from the slavery in Egypt. And so, verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? Then uh, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord... The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. You shall call me this from generation to generation. The first time God reveals his name to Moses, he says, my name's I am. And what happened right after that? Something called the Exodus. 
When God reveals himself as I am, shortly after that, he starts doing all kinds of signs and wonders to bust the children, uh, the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. When he reveals himself like that, it means there's an exodus coming. And I believe we've seen all throughout the Gospel of John, all these parallels uh, time and time again with the exodus story. And I think this is yet another one of them. Jesus is saying, not just I'm God, but he says, get ready for a new exodus. See, if we rewind just a couple of weeks ago when Zach was speaking on that famous passage, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When Jesus says that to the, to the Pharisees, they're like, free? We're not slaves. We've never been slaves. And Jesus said, no, there's a slavery that's deeper than the slavery of Egypt, the slavery of, of Babylon, the slavery of Rome. There's this, this slavery that, that goes to the core of your being. It's a slavery to sin. And Jesus is saying... And I believe even in the context of this, because we're in the same set of verses, if, if you follow me, I'm leading you out of slavery. I am the God that will take you from your slavery to, sleep, your slavery to sin into freedom, into newness of life. Now, these words of Jesus today that we look at, they don't leave us a whole lot of wiggle room, Right? I think a lot of people are okay with the Jesus that's a prophet, that hears from God. Yeah, you know, this guy really, he's got a hotline to the heavens. A lot of people are, are, are cool with Jesus, who's just a good moral teacher. But now we, we've come to a point in the passage where Jesus isn't leaving room for any of that. He's saying, I am God. And you can respond to the gospel just like Abraham did and just like Peter and John did. And you can follow Jesus into it or you can keep holding on to your own stuff and reject him or, and I think along these lines, C.S. Lewis in his, his uh, famous book, Mere, Mere Christianity, I love what he says here, and I'm going to read it in closing today. C.S. Lewis says, I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice as the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. This passage today kind of leaves us in that same place. The religious folks that were watching Jesus, they said, you're just a crazy lunatic. You're a possessed Samaritan. <laughs> but Jesus has kind of drawn a line, in the, a line in the sand. Look, I am God. And you can follow me into this new exodus. Or you can stay enslaved to your own sin. Chiefly the sin of unbelief. But either way. The decision is yours. And I think for us, even today, a response is called for. You know, perhaps to you, Jesus is just, you know, some wise mystical teacher or, or a prophet or a good guy. I don't meet, I have, I've met very few people outside of church that don't like Jesus. He's a likable guy. 
But seeing Jesus as an inspirational figure is not the same as seeing him as Lord and God. And today his invitation is open to you. Are you willing to follow him into the work of the Father? Why don't you stand?